0: Philip Melanchthon had a monumental task. The emperor had requested a debate in Augsburg, Germany, between the Lutherans and the Roman Catholics to resolve their issues once and for all. Unfortunately, Martin Luther was considered an outlaw in Augsburg, so
1: it fell upon Melanchthon to lead the Lutherans in the discussions. Philip Melanchthon had two objectives. First, he needed to present the Lutheran position as being aligned with the historic Christian faith To refute the rumors being spread that Luther supported some of the more radical Protestant positions. Second, Melanchthon needed to clearly define those positions where the Lutherans believed that the Roman Catholics were presently in error. As the Lutheran team worked toward these two objectives, they also
0: knew they were creating a critical document for future generations. The first clear declaration of Luther's beliefs, which, up until that point, had only been discernible by piecing together the most critical portions of the many, many pages of Martin
1: Luther's writings. I'm Mike Yagley. And I'm Evan Gertner. And And this this is is Grace Grace on Tap. tap. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. So Grace on Tap is a podcast dedicated to the Lutheran Reformation, the history, the documents, and the people of that 16th century. And then... Um, through our conversations between the two of us, bringing those historical documents and people and events into some intersection of what's going on today.
0: So uh, this is uh, another we, we had another COVID nineteen episode. We are actually remote from one another. Uh, Evan is there in Birmingham, Michigan. I, I am in Vermilion, Ohio. Which was, if I don't know if you noticed, but there was sort of a, a weak glass clink because I grabbed my um, a, 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 a tin can, uh, a, 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 an aluminum can, and, and hit the glass. So I'm going to have to try that again with. So this is this everything's happening virtually. This is all the magic of radio. Uh, hopefully, uh, you'll you'll enjoy the show just as well.
1: We had one episode already that focused on introducing the historical context of the Augsburg Confession. The Augsburg Confession was presented in fifteen thirty and fifteen thirty on June twenty fifth. And today's episode is going to just kind of walk through some of the articles. We're not going to just do a kind of slow trudge, though. We're going to because well, a number of these topics have come up in other things that Luther has already written that we've discussed about. But placing them inside these articles helps us understand what continuity the Lutherans believed that they had with the historic Christian church, and also understand so, where there are those differences
0: so um, you know basically each one of these articles uh, cover it, it, they all we're going to cover i think what is it the first twenty one articles are sort of uh conciliatory, we'll call them, you know, where, where they're trying to find a common ground, that common ground with the, the historic Christian faith, and then they get into that, like we said in the opening, there's a, the, the first section is where they, they go in and they say, hey, we are aligned with the historic Christian faith, even though, as we'll, we'll see as we go through some of these, they aren't, even, they aren't perfectly aligned with the Catholic position of the Middle Ages, but they're, they're, they're really drawing a clear line back to the historic Christian faith. And then they get into the stuff where it's far more combative, far more difficult conversations,
1: we'll say. So, so let's start with Article 1. Article 1 of this uh, first section of Articles 1 through 21, these Articles of Faith and Doctrine, these chief articles of the faith. Article 1 talks about God, and it will make reference to the Nicene Creed, The confessors will claim to stand, and they're not just claiming, they believe they really are, and I think they are as well, to stand on the doctrinal ground of the early church. They're going to demonstrate that there is orthodoxy with their position and the position of the early church. That word orthodoxy here is not referring to the orthodox church, um, like Eastern Orthodox or Western church sort of thing, but more that word orthodoxy versus heterodoxy. Um, so ortho, you might be familiar with as a term from braces, when someone gets straight teeth and they're straight in line, they're orthodontics, uh, the orthodontist. Um, and then doxy is the, a word that means glory. So this is kind of the straight line to glory. Heterodoxy, that prefix hetero, uh, like heterosexual or heterogeneous, like milk, Uh, Is not heterogeneous, it's homogeneous. Heterogeneous, heterodoxy means mixed glory, things that are confused. So they want to make sure to reveal that they're not confused about what God is. They know uh, that there is unity in the church about this. And the confutation, which we're going to explain what that is, but we're just a little bit as well. That term confutation refers to the Roman Catholic answer to the Augsburg Confession. And so for each one of these articles, not every time, but many times we'll say, what did the confutation say in response? In terms of article one, the confutation provided no comment on this article. Both sides agree that anyone who does not hold to the faith uh, about who God is stands outside the church of Christ. And then they're going to use some terms to uh, describe some of the doctrinal boundaries of the church by uh, showing a catalog of heresies. Now, Mike, you've had some kind of experience looking at this catalog of her- heresies and getting excited by the history of trying to figure out who all these groups are?
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's actually one of these things that um, I, I, I have spent, I'm going to, you know, many years now trying to understand the Christian faith Without having gone to seminary, you know, so I, I, I'm sort of in this, you know, whatever strikes my fancy, whatever I think is going to open up some some uh, doors for me and some uh, knowledge, I, ch- I chase down. And so I, I went and, and bought a handful of books on on these different heresies. And what I really like about the one of the things that's great about the Christian faith is that everything that, uh, that I can find, it's uh, especially in the Lutheran tradition is grounded in history, that, that you can go, and, and these, these the, each one of these heresies that we're talking about are actual people who came up, and they, they would say, hey, this is what I think, and it was different than what everybody else thought, and there would be a big argument, and then they'd have a church council, and they'd agree that, okay, this is the orthodox position, this is the correct position, and this is the heterodox position, this is the wrong position or the heretical position depending on how bad it was and so so they they went through all of these and and like there's there's the manicheans who were i, I think the guy who I, I wish i could remember i think it was man Maniche or something like that um the the, so the were the hey Mike, i'll
1: explain for you real quick manicheans are named after a man named manny he was uh, a guy in persia ah. Uh, who was he actually ended up being crucified for teaching religious pluralism? And his teaching kind of centered on the idea that there was a conflict between good and evil. And he had this very elaborate system of ideas of, of how good and evil had to be in balance, very similar, I suppose, to uh, kind of Qi or Buddhism. And he thought the middle way of finding the space between good and evil was what we should all seek. And so he pervasive so, dualism, good and evil. Okay.
0: So one of the, uh, one uh, of all the books that I read, the Manichaeans weren't, uh, one, weren't one of them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there you yeah. go. So, you found out.
0: So, so, yeah, so a big, big swing and a miss on that one. Um, and then we had the, uh, but I did read about the Arians and, and Arius and, uh, you know, that was, that was fascinating. And and so the Arians were, uh, uh, you know, the, the, that was close to the fourth century. Um, that was the one that was Augustine uh, fought, or Augustine fought against them, right? And, and so, you know, and that was, was I, I actually, w- when, when we started this podcast, I was thinking, gee, wouldn't it be great to get, once we get through all Luther's stuff, which we might never do, but wouldn't it be great to go back and tell the stories of some of these, these heresies uh, because these are fascinating. The the people, the uh the, the just how it happened. This is, I, I personally think that this stuff is is absolutely fascinating. Um and, and how the church resolved it.
1: But anyway, kind each of a one of these, these thing.
0: Yeah. And and each one of these articles references these different heresies. And, you know, some of them I've never heard of before. For all my like the the, the, the Samateens, I I've, I've never heard of them. So maybe maybe you uh this is a Paul of some, you would look this one, Paul of Samosata?
1: Samo, I... That's right. Paul of Samosata, he taught that Jesus was not divine in his nature, but was a man that had been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. Um, and so this is kind of a, most of these heresies that are listed in this group, the Manichaeans, the Valentinians, the Arians, the Eunomians, the Mohammedans, and the Samosatans are all trying to figure out that, character of preserving the perfection of God and understanding how the incarnation of Jesus fits into the perfection of God. How does God ever take on human flesh? So uh, when they say the Mohammedans I'm assuming,
0: I've always assumed he was talking about the Muslims there. Yes, that's Uh, right. You know, and, and so, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with Muslim theology uh, one of the things that they believe is that there's all sorts of different theories. They believe that Christ was a prophet, but not God, uh, and they have these different theories. The swoon theory that Christ swooned on the cross; he didn't die, but he swooned, and, he came, and there's all these different theories that he, you know, that he didn't rise from the dead. So there's there's this, uh, um, but the, and so basically, by by pulling them out, what what Luther is doing is he's saying that you no, know, we we truly do believe. That Christ is God, and that he did rise from the dead, and you know and actually, when I look through all of these it's that's those are the base he's fully man, fully God, rose from the dead, um he died, he truly died. Those are the big issues that were at stake in most of these, and they're what what Melanchthon is doing here is he's he's sort of building fences and saying, okay. You know, we, we, we don't go here. We don't go into this area of, you know, you accuse us, you know, Roman Catholic Church of, of this heresy. Well, we don't do that. Some of the, some of the, what Luther called the enthusiasts did go into those areas. And, you know, Melanchthon really had to make clear that although there were some radical Protestants out there who had some crazy ideas, um, Luther
1: and the Lutherans did not. And that's really what this is all about. So Article 2 is about original sin. And there we find out there's a definition of sin, without fear of God, without trust in God. And then it uses this word concupiscent. And concupiscent isn't a word that we're all that familiar with, but it is just describing that desire, that longing. And so as we look to this definition of sin that they have there, It is about uh, being separated from God. Sin is unbelief, and and real sin is not just the things that we do wrong, uh, the things we think wrong, uh, but real sin is separation from God, where we are acting and believing and doing like there is not a God and we ourselves have become God.
0: One of the great things about Luther uh, that I've always liked Is his earthiness is the fact that when he addresses sin, it's 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 you know he doesn't he doesn't get into this dualism uh, type stuff where you know the sin we can ever be free of sin it's it's in our bones um, and and we are we are always struggling with it and so it's whether and we talked about that and the I'm a I'm a big fan of Luther's ideas on sin which is. And why I, I was the one who wanted to go through the, the Ten Commandments because I, I really think there's a lot of value in looking at those and considering our sin and, but through Luther's lens. And so, you know, this, is, this, uh, this thing with the original sin is part of it. And, and one, of the, one of the things that this was, there were some problems with, with the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church didn't exactly like Luther's definition of original sin. And the, the reason uh, they didn't the like computation,
1: right? The reason they struggled with Luther's definition of sin is because they largely saw um, sin as something that could be overcome uh, with the right start, the right kind of push, in the right direction. But that for Luther, being separated from God meant you couldn't get to God. Um, he needed to come to you, and. So the Confutation rejected the idea that original sin consists in the absence of fear of God and trust in God. Uh, They argued that it's more related to a personal guilt or a particular offense that someone has done that they could then maybe overcome. This idea of the fear of God or trust in God as not just uh, things that we do, but a state of being is where Luther went to.
0: And that's really one, and this is getting into when you start looking at, and we've covered this probably a dozen times already, talking about the difference that the Lutherans and the Roman Catholics of the Middle Ages had when it came to sin and and penance and, and forgiveness. And as we go through these, and I think we're going to be skipping through a few of them, but I, I think we're going to... I'd like to hit on like the the critical ones of that, you know, where Luther is, where the Lutheran team, where Melanchthon is highlighting the 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 connection to the historic church, but at the same time, you can start seeing the the problems with the with the the medieval Catholic Church, and this original sin one is a perfect example, you know, where where they're they're looking at it and they're saying it really does get to that the core problem between the Lutherans and the Catholics of this era—that uh, that Lutherans believe that the, the the sin is is intertwined in us and we're we're never free of it. We're uh, w- w- there's a Latin term, you know, sin and sinner and saint uh, that Luther likes to throw around. Pe- pecor, and I, you might know it.
1: Well, est um, e peccator Da, ah, yes. Simul, and, and simultaneously. Estus being, simul estus uh, at peccator, simultaneously, ustus, uh, just, at, uh, so simul, simultaneously, ustis like just, think of it instead of ustus, think justice, simul, ustus, justice at peccator, and peccator means sin. And and for Luther, it it reveals this sense that uh, human nature cannot become righteous on its own, or even through something that we do or think, become righteous. We need the application of God's righteousness upon us. And one of the things I love
0: about that is that we need the application of God's love upon us every minute of every day. I, I, and I've highlighted a, a, a sermon you know, that Evan gave years ago, where he talked about, you know, yeah, we can turn to the right and there's legalism. We turn to the left. And there's there's what's called antinomianism, which is you know just you know blatant sinning and saying hey it covered, grace covers it all, but the 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 sol- the solution is neither of those. The solution is to look to Christ, and and to keep our eyes on Christ, and that is the only solution, and that is the Lutheran solution. It's 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 not by doing good works, it's not by sinning, it's by keeping our eyes on Christ, and that's. That's, this is all getting into that, that sinner and saint, and, and, and the only way we get out of being a sinner or a saint, or the only way we, we maintain we are simultaneously sinner and saint, the only way we maintain that saintliness is through Christ and keeping our eyes on Christ. And that's sort of, again, one of the things that uh, I, I think is just great. I'd like to sort of skip by, uh, we have Article 3 is the Son of God.
1: Uh, Nothing uh, and, too and computational that's, on there.
0: No, but we, the next one, Article Four, is justification, and you know now that that's that's uh, that's a meaty subject between the Lutherans and the Catholics.
1: It it is kind of simple. It's not that many words inside the Augsburg Confession, but this is the one where the confutation kind of zeroed in and said, "Yeah, this is a, a point of conflict," and then Melanchthon's going to answer back in a book that he writes in fifteen the spring of fifteen thirty nine, the fall of uh, fifteen thirty. Uh, called the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, and Article 4 is the largest section in in that book. But for us, what we're going to do is just see that uh, justification is defined as um, something that we do not merit by work or satisfaction, but that we receive through the forgiveness of sin, and we become righteous before God out of grace for Christ's sake through faith. Uh, and when we believe that Christ has suffered for us and that for his sake, our sin is forgiven. Uh, then we have righteousness and eternal life given to us and God will reckon us as righteous. This is where we could talk in other uh, podcasts about the difference between, uh, infused grace and imputed grace. Uh, infused is where like grace gets into you. Then you are equipped to do good works and be righteous. That's infused grace. And that was largely the medieval Roman Catholic position that God, uh, sparks that tinder that's in you so that you now can respond with good works. And article four of justification in the Augsburg confession is not saying that we're justified by infused grace, but it offers an alternative and that is the imputation or the clothing or the reckoning of righteousness that God reckons us as righteous, not because of the deeds that we have done, but by considering the deeds of Christ.
0: This is one of the things that, um, and then again luther lutheran theology uh faith is at the core of everything we have of course um, uh you know good works flow out of faith and, uh, and but uh the good works are i i, I and I, I guess one of the ways I like to think of it is when when we have faith in Christ, we're not going to get bogged down in um in selfish. Uh, initiatives. Yeah, you know, we we are we are our our treasure is in the next world, and if we truly believe that, if we truly believe that that our treasure is already secured by Christ, then you know, then we have the freedom to love others without without that burden of worrying about our ourselves, and and so it's through faith that faith in knowing that we have everything we need in Christ that is that gives us the freedom to love one another freely. And
1: the so, freedom of a Christian and, it was what Luther wrote about this, is he said, right. we're now free from sin and the burden of having to redeem and rescue our own selves uh, because Christ has taken care of that. So now we're free to spend our energy no longer in the vanity of saving ourselves because our butt's covered. Instead we're able to free and freely spend our time in the care of others.
0: And this whole thing on justification is sort of honing in on that, this imputation uh, versus infusion. Infusion, if it's infusion, well, then that's something that's in you that God has put inside of you, that you have the responsibility to, to go and grow it and do stuff with it. And you, you, so you have to start worrying about your, your good works, and you have to start worrying about doing good things, and and you have to start worrying about, where if it's imputed to you, then out of that joy of, hey, I got this fantastic free gift in Jesus Christ, and I know it's true, and I my, through faith, I know it's true, I know it's mine, and that just is, instead of that burden of having to do good works, you are free to do good works. And it's a, it's a, it's a subtle difference, but it's, it's, it's
1: what this is all about. So after Luther's uh, death, the Roman Catholic Church finally did have a council to establish uh, what was going on in all of the conflict about uh, the Reformation and the Protestant complaints. Uh, The Council of Trent though, really didn't take into account any voices from the Protestants, and instead was kind of a counter-Reformation. And one of the things that they said was that initial righteousness is going to be increased by the observance of the commandments of God. No one can be certain but one must place hope in Christ and then work with fear. Uh, And the good works that one does will be the true merit since God in his divinity permits us to do these good works. I think it's helpful for us to kind of realize the position of Trent is that righteousness before God must be a human quality. It's not a gift from God. It's a human quality that you receive Um, in heaven for us, the only thing that we need is to be covered in the righteousness of Christ. And as we consider what it means to be covered in Christ, that's that's faith. It's faith trusting in this gift, as you've been talking about. Like, are you ready to move on to Article 5? I am.
0: I am. The ministry of the church. And this is... This is, you know, when you start getting into the, the ministry of the church, um, this is the character of, of the ministry and the sacraments and, and exactly how the church works. And, and obviously, in medieval uh, Christianity, there were differences between the Lutherans and the Catholics, you know, significant differences, um, you know, and the, the one of the problems that they had was, you know, because there were, you know, where the Lutherans and I, I'm gonna actually, you know, I I, I read through uh, a couple of things here, but I was hoping, you know, one of the things that I'm I'm sort of struggling with is because I, I I, I guess I'm looking at the the Lutheran position from modern Lutheran position, a you know, where this is sort of an area where we could have bishops we don't have to have bishops we, you know the, there's there's a lot of there's a, the lutheran position offers a lot of freedom for the structure of the church where the catholic position does not you know and that's sort of that's sort of, i i guess you know when i think of the the, the 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 ministry of the church that's the big difference i see now i don't know if if melanchthon really hammered on that and i don't think he did he was a little bit too like luther said it, I think Luther said that his only problem with Melanchthon's Augsburg confession is it's written a little too finely for him. It's, it's too nice um, and not coarse enough for the common man like me. So,
1: <laughs> Mike, Article 5, the ministry of the church, doesn't give us a chance to really see, like, structure the church around bishops or not. It is a continuation of this justification by grace through faith. How do we get that? How do we get this ministry—not um, this ministry—how do we get this gift— of forgiveness of sins, and so Melanchthon would say, this gift of the forgiveness of sins comes through hearing the word of God, and it is the purpose of the church to proclaim this word, and so whenever Luther and Melanchthon start talking about the structure and whether there's going to be bishops or not, they don't get bogged down in the canon law as much as they say, is the church doing what it's supposed to be doing? Is the church delivering the goods to the people? Are the people hearing the word and receiving the sacraments? If they are, let's not deal with the structure as much as to know that this is what the church is supposed to be busy about.
0: Again, one, uh, you know, one of the reasons I became Lutheran was exactly this kind of stuff, where they they keep their eye on the prize. You know, it's it they, they didn't get bogged down in those issues of okay, this is this is the way things ought to be done. There is freedom for the church. To, so long as we are proclaiming Christ as effectively as we can, then there's freedom there. But the the you know don't let the don't let the structure get in the way of the proclamation of Christ risen. And, so, and, Article you know, Six,
1: Mike. Let's get, let's move to Article Six now because this is when you and I, in some kind of preparatory conversations, were saying it, it can be a challenge because we now have to say we have hammered home the idea that we're justified by grace. Through faith, and not by works that we do, but entirely as a gift of God. But now, Article Six is going to say there will be a new obedience; there will be good works. And so, this Article Six looks at that relationship between faith and good works.
0: You know, one of the things that uh, you know, I always think about, and I think Luther said it in uh, either the um, Treatise on Good Works, or uh, it might have but it might have been someplace else. Um, where he talks about how the, when, when, when we have faith, when we truly believe that Christ has died for us and that we are free of our sin, finally free of our sin, after working at it on our own for however long it took us to, <laughs> to get frustrated with ourselves, you know, and I, I could speak for myself that I got pretty frustrated with myself. Um, that joy that comes from that is, well you know we serve our neighbor, we are free to serve our neighbor, and so the good works flow naturally like like a tree you know we, we are we are like a tree that is going to bear fruit the tree doesn't work at bearing fruit, the tree just bears fruit if it's if it's healthy it will bear fruit and this is this is what this is about and the the Catholics were always saying that the tree had to get up, walk over here, do this, do that you know and and that that was, you know, no matter how hard that tree worked, it it never quite got there. It never felt like it got there, and that was at least that was my experience as a Catholic. So it was, uh, you know, it, maybe it was I was poor, poor teaching, poor training on, for me. But the uh, the the this uh, this freedom to do good works uh, and and not worry about it, it's going to come naturally. And then the one thing, and if, again, we went through the Ten Commandments. Was you know, some of those good works, uh, they just sort of surprise you, uh, you know, when you, know, you love your wife, you love your kids, you take care of them. Those are good works. You love your parents. Those are good works.
1: Not they, extraordinary, they just that, kind of ordinary works.
0: Yeah, ordinary good works. And, and those are, and Luther, Luther places loving your parents at the top of the list. It's the fourth commandment. It's the first commandment of this, this world and And so the first commandment of of the of the human life of and and so he, there's this there's this freedom of good works that doesn't exist in especially the medieval Catholic Church. I know the modern Catholic Church is working very hard to to do stuff like that, and they they are introducing those doctrines, but um it, it was that was there's a real freedom to do those good works and i, I, I the, this new obedience comes out of that love of Christ and love of neighbor that the, the, the freedom to love one another is the most wonderful thing.
1: The motivation of our new obedience is no longer seeking a right relationship with God through our works or seeking assurance and confidence that we have done enough. God has given us everything. So now our good works are no longer turned towards pleasing God or giving ourselves blessed assurance. Our faith is certain and sure by the gift of Christ. So now good works may not be that useful to God. He's got plenty of good works on his own. They matter quite a bit to our neighbor. And that's the one that we aid and assist in this life. So um, two kinds of righteousness is something that we have talked about before uh, that will come up, especially in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. But looking at uh, the passive righteousness that we receive through Christ that's secure and confident. And then the act of righteousness that we do in relationship to our neighbor. We are actively righteous towards our neighbor, uh, not because God needs it or we need it for salvation, but entirely just because our neighbor needs help. Uh, Article 7 is about the church. This gets a little bit more to now just the structure. And this is going to be a spot where uh, Melanchthon is going to establish that there's one holy Christian and apostolic church. Uh, in unity with what the creed has confessed, but he's going to make the distinction that this church is not the assembly of where things are ordered properly with a bishop um, with laying out of hands or anything like that. The church is simply the assembly of people who have been gathered uh, where the gospel is taught and the sacraments are administered. This will lead to something that some, sometimes is known as the invisible church or the hidden church because the church is not bound to time, place, Nor persons, the church isn't bound to Rome or who sits on the seat in Rome. The church is bound to where the gospels preached and the sacraments are administered.
0: So I think this is a good time to to take a quick break and and enjoy a beer. What do you think?
1: Yeah. So we've got Great Lakes Brewing Company, the Dortmunder style lager. It's a sweet, uh, hoppy style beer, um, the Dort, as it may be called, in the Cleveland area. And you had a little bit easier success finding this beer in Ohio than I did in Michigan. But I did finally find it at the Shell Station. <laughs>
0: the <high> end. <laughs> Maybe next time we'll get the Budweiser. That'll be easy for us to get together. <laughs> yeah. But this is this is actually a very good beer. Uh, the Dortmunder Gold. All of the Great Lakes Brewing Company beers are are excellent beers. They um, highly decorated, lots of awards, that kind of thing. Um, they're they're I would say they're the Ohio version of Michigan's Founders. You know, Founders Brewery is a fantastic brewery in Michigan. Great Lakes Brewery is a fantastic brewery down here in Ohio, and so. Uh, you know, this is a, a nice, smooth lager, which you would expect. Um, I guess I'm, I'm going to take a little taste of it, and it's it is. It's a um, very mild, very mild beer. Not not. It's a good summertime beer. I, I always I always like look at these beers as either summertime beers or wintertime beers. Wintertime beers are are thick and 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 strong. Summertime beers are more light. Uh, this is a nice. Nice, smooth summertime beer. What do you think of it there? Yeah, Evan? I like the I think sweetness.
1: You a, I like the sweetness. You have a more it's discerning smooth. taste than me. I don't know. I I appreciate the sweetness of it. I think it's uh, it has some texture to it. It doesn't feel like water to me, but it, it it's not overly heavy. It was uh, yeah. an award-winning beer. It, it kind of reminds me that uh, craft beers that have felt like every week there's a new craft brewing company somewhere – uh, Great Lakes Brewing Company, 1986. They've been around for a while. Uh, this uh, Dortmunder uh, lager has been around since 1988. It's won awards. It was the, um, uh, it's been the world beer champion. Uh, 16, uh, in 1994 was the world champion. I mean, 1994, quality beers being produced. It reminds me a little bit of how um, Fat Tire Out in uh, Fort Collins w- was kind of, putting some roots down and and realizing that there could be something other than big corporate beer and uh, I think Great Lakes Brewing Company has a great heritage to build on and uh, a lot of new companies are trying to imitate what they are doing and sometimes it's good to just go back to the 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 people that have been doing it for a long time and saying yep they know what they're doing. Yeah yeah
0: this is I I guess the way I would I would uh, characterize this one it's it's like a lager it's a pilsner done right this reminds me of some of the really great pilsners i've had in germany when i was there um, the, the and like you said it has it has it's a, it's a it's a, it's, a, it's not like water it's it's a thicker it's a thicker beer it has some some consistency to it but it's still light and and easy to drink and and goes down nice and smooth it's a very well done lager so um you know and and here's our our virtual there we go.
1: Okay. I'm tapping my bottle with my uh, can opener uh, to get that <laughs> clink sound. So we looked at the church and then uh, that the church is one and it's, it's the gathering of believers. The basis of our unity is going to be in the gospel and not in external celebrations. That point about our unity of the church not being based in our external celebrations is going to become something that's uh, defining for differences among Protestants later on. Uh, the Anglicans, the Episcopal Church in the USA, um, will start to see kind of that big tent. As long as we have the same liturgy uh, for Lutherans, it wasn't as much as long as we have the same liturgy. It was always as long as we have the same gospel.
0: So this this whole thing with the, uh, the this next section on on the baptism, um, I I get more questions about from non Lutherans. Yeah, the Catholics understand seem to understand the Lutheran position on baptism much more easily than, like, my Baptist
1: friends. And right. they, I, they get a little concerned, I think, about this phrase. Concerning baptism, it is taught that it is necessary, that grace is offered through it, and that one should also baptize children who, through such baptism, are entrusted to God and become pleasing to Him. That phrase, necessary. Uh, the Augsburg Confession doesn't quite describe baptism as necessary, but it does say that the grace that's offered through baptism is necessary. Um, And so we can say, one, baptism is necessary for salvation because baptism delivers the grace of God. Baptism is necessary because it is a confident, clear delivery system for grace. Now, faith that holds on to this grace is is what uh, holds us to God, but I think whenever someone says, "Why do I have to be baptized?" I say, "Because that's where God has promised to deliver grace, and you want to be where grace is found."
0: One of the things with both baptism, with the, all the Lutheran sacraments, which are, you know, the um, the, the communion and then uh, baptism, uh, the, the they're what, what they're, they're physical. They're physical, and and one of the problems uh, I have with um, some of my disagreements we 'll say with some of my Baptist friends is that that god is is almost too physical for them mm-hmm. you now God works through the physical world and he insists on working in our world it 's one of those things like God insisted on becoming man, God insists on becoming. You know, bread and wine, God you know, making himself present in the bread and the wine. God insists on infusing his grace through, or uh, delivering his grace, and I'm not going to, uh, I'll be careful yeah. on the terminology, so delivering Mike, his it grace it through way.
1: water. The visible word of God is what you're kind of hammering home. The The physicalness is visibleness. The visibleness of the word of God, while the church may be Hidden or invisible in this world because I can't always measure someone's heart I can say that god's word is visible whether it's on the page of a bible. It's in the waters of baptism It's in the bread and the wine of the lord's supper that For the ministry of the church exists because we are delivering the visibleness of god's word
0: And and one of the problems that um, some of these other religions other other denominations i'll say have is they're uncomfortable with the physicalness of God, that God works through these physical things. They, they you know, everything is a symbol, everything, but God is, is sort of, fuzz, is, is spirit, almost completely spirit, where, where, you know, it, where, no, we, we say that, no, God is intimately involved with the physical realm, and, and he, and through baptism, and through the elements of, of communion, and through the written word, he is active in these physical things. And, and, and so we, we can take comfort in knowing that God is deeply interested in our physical world because he has chosen to to participate in it through these things. And through, the, of course, the the, the incarnation, the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of those things is, are God working in a physical way. And, you know... When, when we want to deny that, we, it's a, it makes us almost uncomfortable to think that God actually gets into the mud with us, but he does.
1: Well, and this is a struggle in modern Protestantism is uh, Gnosticism. The idea that there's some sort of internal movement of the spirit that's uh, secret knowledge that some people have and some people don't have. And are you awakened? Are you a believer? Do you have a personal relationship. And a lot of these phrases are looking to some sort of inner thing that you're supposed to examine in yourself to see if you have it. And uh, Philip Melanchthon keeps pointing to God present, not inside of a person, but in the external (laughs) visible word of God. Uh, Article 10 continues with the discussion of the sacraments with the Lord's Supper. And here there's uh, confidence that the body and blood of Christ is truly present in this meal for us. Uh, One thing that he does make is a distinction that maybe someone may not hear right away, but uh, the phrase is concerning the Lord's Supper, they teach that the body and blood of Christ are truly present and are distributed to those who eat the Lord's Supper. They disapprove of those who teach otherwise. What I wanted to highlight was the phrase to those who eat the Lord's Supper. Uh, For Lutherans, we do not see uh, the body and blood of Christ on the altar, separated from the meal as something to be worshiped. Uh, We find in the meal, the giving of Christ to us in the eating and drinking of this meal. Uh, So there was uh, this tradition of the Corpus Christi parade where um, the bread, the body of Christ would be paraded through town and people were supposed to kneel in the sacred presence of Christ as Christ moved through the town. And uh, at the beginning of the, the Diet of Augsburg, the Lutheran, Lutherans would not do that. They wouldn't bow at the Corpus Christi parade uh, because for them, as Melanchthon would point here, the, the gift of the sacrament of the altar is for the giving and the meal, not for the parade and, observ- the parade and observance.
0: It's really um, the, the, the idea that, that God is for us. Uh, that god is that that we don't give we don't give things to god god has no need for our you know that but god is for us and this is uh that's an example of that right because it's you know where oh you know if you're going to worship the, the corpus christi parade as it go as as the the elements are walked through town and all this that's you trying to give something to god right isn't that isn't that us trying to provide god with you know, Hey, look at how, look what I'm giving you, you know, where, where, you know, Melanchthon says, no, 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 that's not, that's not right. God is doing this for us. And we always have to keep that in mind. This is, this is God doing things for us through his great love. And, and, and we are just beggars in all of this. We, we give nothing back in return. And so it's, it's that sort of, so, Let's let's keep going. We have a right. So, Article
1: Eleven, confession is affirming that private confession should be maintained, and that uh, the greatest gift that's happening inside a confession is the gift of absolution. The the clear word spoken to an individual sinner that his sin is forgiven. And so confession is identified as a blessing because of the declaration of the forgiveness of sins that's provided in that. Article 12 is about repentance, and it says repentance is possible. It consists of contrition and faith, uh, that sorrow over sin, not just terror, but sorrow that we have sinned. Um, Article 12 about repentance doesn't make any mention of good works. That was already been made clear in Article 6, that the fruit of good works Uh, comes out of the new obedience. Repentance is just simply this, um, that no longer is our forgiveness dependent on our disposition and uh, what we are feeling. Our forgiveness is entirely dependent on the graciousness in Christ. Article 13 is on the use of the sacraments. And here the idea is that the sacraments awaken and confirm faith in those who use them. Uh, they're supposed to be signs and testimonies of the will of God toward us. Uh, there is not a coming of grace apart from meeting Christ in word and proclamation sacrament. The use of the sacraments is that they are not to be uh, something that we watch as an audience. They are supposed to be something that we participate in. And uh, he uses this phrase. It says rejected. Therefore, are those who teach that the sacraments justify? And here's Latin for you: ex opera operato, without faith. And ex opera operato is a a Latin phrase that just describes by the work of observing it and not the faith that believes it.
0: So I have to drink because Evan used Latin or some other language that I don't know. But I didn't come
1: up with it on my own. It's inside of the. The Augsburg Confession itself, Article 14 is concerning church government, and here's uh, the idea is that no one should hold the office of the holy ministry unless they are properly called, regularly called. Uh, I'll give you some more Latin: "Rite vocatus," uh, meaning called no. according to the regular patterns of the church. And so, Article 14 was essentially uh, trying to. Uh, separate the Lutheran Church from the enthusiasts. The enthusiasts (laughs) were a group of uh, Christians that were happening in the Reformation time who said that anyone who's been moved by the Spirit should be able to speak. And uh, the confidence of the Lutherans was that every baptized person should share the hope that is within them, but is specifically given to the office of the ministry to proclaim publicly the the gospel and administer the sacraments. Article 15 is just, uh, what are the rules in the church? And he says, uh, number one, don't conflict with the gospel. Number two, it should contribute to good order. Number three, there should be a rejection of traditions which stand in conflict with rules number one and two. So now rule number one, don't get in the way of the gospel. Rule number two, make sure whatever you're doing provides good order. And number three, don't mess up rules one and two. Okay, I'm good with that. So, um, the, the, the civil affairs,
0: uh, and this is, you know, Luther, talk, or Luther and Melanchthon are both talking about how lawful civil ordinances are in harmony with God's will. God wants the, the, you know, the civil affairs to be in order. Uh, it does not dissolve the state or the family. Uh, and we, we talked, I think we've talked quite a bit about the estates uh, and, and, you know, so that's, that's really what this is. This is all about, uh, duty to the authorities and their laws is limited to by only one circumstance when the demand demands of God and the authorities come into conflict with one another. So, uh, when, when the authorities have laws and then they're in conflict with God's laws, well, you have to pick God's laws. Uh, there's a lot here. We've, we've talked about it many times before, so we're going to just keep moving on. Um, the return of Christ for judgment uh and that goes to the previous article on the civil affairs and this article on on the on Christ are connected um the the devil and the ungodly are going to suffer in eternity uh the the confession uh, opposes those who believe that before the resurrection of the righteous uh that the righteous will rule on earth and suppress the ungodly and this is really getting into the peasants' war you know and you have to remember that was still fresh in their mind uh when this was all happening that that order order of the church and order of the civil authorities uh are are all connected and and this all comes into the the return of Christ for judgment this is all part of but if you go back and listen to our episodes on the peasants where you'll see that in a little bit greater detail And
1: the Augsburg confession is also attacking uh, the idea of the millennial reign, that there's going to be this thousand year rule when the church acts perfectly and we no longer need the civil affairs. They are rejecting this notion of a utopian society that's going to develop that will eliminate the need for civil affairs. Uh, Essentially, until Christ returns, the return for Christ on judgment, until that happens, we need both the church proclaiming the gospel and we need the state uh, providing uh, good order. Article 18 is about free will, and it's essentially going to say in earthly matters, a person's will has liberty. Uh, There may be some uh, difficulty we sometimes have because of sin. But God gives us the freedom in our relationships with our neighbors to do and to say something. There is not determinism on whether I'm going to stop at a stop sign or not. I have the choice. Do I stop at that stop sign? I have free will in relationship to that. But in terms of my relationship to God, I do not have any longer any free will because I am bound by my sin to be in hostility to God and that the only way that I'm returned to God is not because of I chosen God, but because He has given Himself to me in the Gospel.
0: And we've talked about this even in this podcast a little bit, where we talk about the freedom of the Christian. It's in uh, we are bound to sin. We will sin. We will always either sin in licentiousness or we will sin in self righteousness. Or sin. There are a billion different ways to sin, and we will we will explore every one of them until we until we have Christ. And when we have Christ, we are finally free. The whole world of doing good works o- only opens up when Christ is is uh, active in, uh, in our lives, and and that's that's what this is about.
1: Article 19 so is about we, the cause of sin, and uh, Article 19 will point out that. Uh, God is not the cause of sin. Um, They're trying to establish uh, some baseline here. Uh, Johann Eck, who had written uh, 404 articles of heresy that he finds among the Lutherans, had said that the Lutheran position was that God was the source of sin. So this article about the source of sin is largely in the Augsburg Confession to specifically push back against Eck's accusation.
0: The next one is uh, faith and good works. We've talked about this a couple of times already, so um, I I don't know. Do you have anything more to add to what? No, this is
1: just more elaboration on Article Six. There is kind of an internal conversation in the Christian Church about uh, where do good works come from and what do they accomplish, and that uh, then where does the love of God turn to? Uh, Saint Thomas of Aquinas had positioned the work of the church to say that the love of God is only directed to those who are worthy and God will not associate with people until they are meritorious. And so Thomas said good works are what's are what inspire God to give us more favor. And Luther and the Lutherans were saying that good works are not done to merit God's favor. Uh, God turns to us entirely out of his grace the Christian does good works um, as a co-worker with God, um, but not as someone that is trying to earn the favor of God. God is gracious just because that's who God is, not because we have somehow inspired him to remember that he should love us.
0: The Article 21 is the cult of the saints, uh, and basically it's saying all invocation and prayer to the saints are rejected as contrary to scripture. And, and then it has this, it says, the purpose of, of the saints, and this is uh, from the notes we have here, the purpose of the saints in the church should be pedagogical. And I guess a, that's a $5 word. I'm, uh, if you could help me out with that, I'd appreciate it.
1: So pedagogy is uh, teaching. And, and so the idea is that uh, pedagogical is uh, something that is equipping us to learn. So the purpose of the t- saints in the church should be to help us to learn about the grace of God. And uh, the title of this article may need some explanation to people, the cult of saints. Uh, the word cult uh, in Latin, cultus, just means worship. And so cultus is the word for worship. So Article 21 is about the worship of saints. Ah, okay, That that's, uh, that's a, not much better, but it's better
0: than the cult of the saints. So, okay, well, I think that that pretty much does it. Um, uh, we'll we'll be getting into I, 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 uh, into section two uh, next time, uh, which is we're go- this part two where we go- get into the articles that we say where uh, Melanchthon and the Lutherans are saying that the Roman Catholic Church of the of the medieval era was an error, and uh, we always want to make clear uh, neither one of us is an expert on modern uh, Catholic theology. I do read some. But um, I, I, And I, I can see some very big differences between what we read here, what, we're, what I read from the 16th century, and what I read from the 20th century and the 21st century from the Catholic Church. Although, if you ask them, they say it's all the same, but that's all part of the, the, you know, it, the, it's the, the Catholic fine distinctions that they, they enjoy so much. So, the, I, I think that does it for today. We'll, uh, we'll be getting into the next section next time. Um, so, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can catch us on the website or, uh, it would be, we would appreciate it. If you would get onto, uh, onto iTunes and, and, uh, or, uh, at, I said iTunes that they, they, uh, you, you, you rate us on iTunes and give us a, give us a good rating, hopefully a great rating and, and it'll, it'll boost us in the, in the searches. And so we would appreciate that until next time.
1: Yeah, thank you for everyone for listening. Uh, you'll hear that we kind of may step over each, other, each other's words a little bit more uh, because we can't see each other. It's a reminder of how much uh, communication is nonverbal, just kind of looking at someone's eyebrows and the raise of their shoulders and all that. Uh, but uh, as we finish this discussion on part one, this summary of what's been preached and taught in the Christian churches, I hope that you saw that the aim of the Augsburg Confession was not division or conflict or separation, but was to show where there is unity and where this unity was not just in the present, but is in unity with what has gone on in the past as well. Uh, Mike, thanks for this time together with Grace on Tap. Prost. Prost. Prost.